Today, we hear what it's like for an evangelical church to go from being welcoming to fully inclusive. A group of leaders, including the pastor and an LGBT member of the congregation, discuss their process and why they decided to change their church. But first, we'll hear from Earl. Welcome to Sanctuary Conversations. I'm James Farlow. I'm Rebecca Farlow. And I'm Justin Lee sitting in awe of whatever that was that, that we just heard that I did not know was going to happen. That was Earl Harville. Yeah. He, Thanks, Earl. That's right. <laughs> Earl recorded our demo. Mu- well, Rebecca wrote the music and then Earl recorded it in, I don't know, 15 part harmony. So <laughs> he did a great job. And then you two decided to just spring that on me. It just surprised me so that I had <laughs> I no asked idea James if you'd heard it. that was going to happen. <laughs> yeah. Well, I thought it would be better that way. I thought you, I think you thought. I had sent it to you, but it's, you know, it's not a big deal. Oh, <laughs> well, I didn't get that <laughs> this email. This one's on you, Justin. <laughs> <laughs> We're off to a great start. That's right. <laughs> Before we get started, Justin, uh, I understand you've recently been doing a lot of traveling, and this past weekend, I think you had a conversation with Preston Sprinkle at a church out in California. I did, yeah. Out at, well, well, I was going to say out at Spark Church. That's not exactly right. Uh, so there's a church out in Palo Alto called Spark that um, organized all of this, but it was co-sponsored by a bunch of churches, and it was actually held in this large auditorium and I don't, I think we had 700, 800 people there at least. Um, so yeah, it was, it was a really interesting conversation. What was the focus of the topic? How are you guys doing that? I think it was scripture, sexuality and the soul of Christianity or something like that was the title. And, um, Preston is on the, uh, the side B side of this conversation. The, the uh, the side that says that uh, marriage is between a man and a woman from a Christian uh, perspective. And I am on the other side of, of the conversation. I am in favor of same-sex marriage as a Christian. And we were having a gracious dialogue about how, as brothers in Christ, we can disagree so strongly. And, and what does it mean for the church? How do we actually have this conversation in a way that's helpful uh, rather than just yelling at each other, and I, th- I think, I think it went well. It's, I believe, going to be uh, the video is going to be online somewhere. So, um, if you go to, I think Spark's website is like Spark Church or something really fun like that. Um, I think they're going to put it up there at some point. That's cool. Yeah, I've, um, I don't know Preston, but I've enjoyed reading his writings. As somebody, I'm also on the side A side, as is Rebecca. Um, but I, I've enjoyed reading his what he's talked about and the way he's talked about it. He seems to be supportive as much as he can be from that particular perspective. Uh, he also seems to be fairly gracious. I don't know what your experience was, but uh, there's some side some side B folks I really enjoy talking to and, and listening to and hearing from. And from what I know, he's been he's been one of those. Yeah, you know, I, he was he was uh, he was very kind to me, and I think our conversation was very gracious. 
And, you know, and I was really open with him both on stage and off stage in our private conversations about the fact that, um, you know, there, there are things that he believes that I think are not helpful. Um, there are things he, uh, you know, that I believe that he thinks are not helpful. Uh, and so it's, the challenging thing with this conversation is we can't just pretend that it doesn't matter because for both sides, it really does matter that we get this right. And yet, you know, as long as there's sincere disagreement, we have to find a way to to move forward in the conversation. And I think he and I both are committed to finding ways to do that. So I appreciated that about him. That's great. Well, um, today we're going to be talking about a church in Iowa. When Rebecca and I moved back to North Carolina from Los Angeles, we road tripped across the country and we had heard about this particular congregation whose name is coincidentally Sanctuary, Sanctuary Church. (laughs) And uh, they, no relation to our organization, Sanctuary, um, they are a vineyard church that has become fully inclusive. And the senior pastor is also a woman. And so we had heard about them and we wanted to meet with them. So we stopped in Iowa City, right off of I-80, and we sat down for an afternoon and, and they shared with us. So I'm going to let start us off. Just to clarify, are they still a vineyard church? They're not a vineyard church. They're going to go into that uh, a little bit. They okay. had to leave the vineyard church once they became fully inclusive because the vineyard is not a fully inclusive denomination. So now they're a part of Blue Ocean Faith which is a denomination for churches who are fully inclusive. And a lot of them, some of them are from the Vineyard Movement. Some of them are uh, start church plants. Some of them are out of other movements. After we hear a little bit of their story, we'll, we'll talk about what that was like for them and how it reflects um, with respect to other churches and other people that have gone through this process. So let's go ahead and get started and listen to them share who they are. My name is Katie Imboric. Uh, I am a family physician at the University of Iowa. Um, I'm the co-director of the University of Iowa Healthcare LGBTQ Clinic. Um, and I've been going to Sanctuary since September-ish of 2012. And I'm A.D. Wasink, and I am senior pastor of Sanctuary. We planted the church about 20 years ago. Uh, and I'm Tom Wasink. I am a staff pastor at the church. And I'm also a professor in psychiatry at the University of Iowa Hospitals and Clinics. Uh, I've done research there in genetics, and also I work mostly with vets with PTSD at this point. Uh, Sanctuary, we've been worshiping for, yeah, 18 or about 18 years here. And it was a church that was, we used to be a vineyard church, so a somewhat conservative, charismatic church rooted in evangelicalism, and over the years, um, over the years, we've morphed as um, we've begun to read the Bible differently, begun to interpret things differently, asking questions around science, um, some of the ways we've interpreted scripture, and certainly um, how we felt um, about LGBTQ folks worshiping with us. Yeah, I think it's a place of where Jesus is at the center. So people can come expecting to encounter Jesus, and that's what we try to do in in all the things that we do on Sunday mornings and otherwise, too. And it's fully inclusive. And we found that that combination, Jesus-centered, real spirituality, fully inclusive, is not very common, and people are real hungry for it. 
I think, well, I um, had a friend who would have identified as gay for years, but in, in the context of evangelical churches, she would have said, I'm gay, but I'm not acting on it. But we um, witnessed firsthand the struggles and the challenges and the fraughtness of that position. And over time, it was wearing on me. I was aware that living in Iowa City and being a, a missional church, um, it seemed to me we should have gay people worshiping with us. And there weren't any, or if somebody did come, they stuck around for four weeks and we'd feel like, gosh, we did everything right. Why didn't they stay? Um, and so I started having conversations with Tom. We would take walks down the road at the end of our block, so long road with farms on both sides. And I would say, I, I want to be a church where anybody could come. And right now we don't have any gay people worshiping with us. And that feels terrible. And Tom would start quoting scripture and telling me this was about identity and and I would devolve to tears and his voice would raise and we did this for quite a while. Yeah, I think we felt some things were happening. We came here away from where we had, we'd been in the Chicago area, so came here, so we're more on our own. We were more able to be influenced by the city around us, which was uh, a welcoming city, like a welcoming place. And so that was a part of what was going on. And so that tugged at Eddie's heart. You know, she felt the desire to be welcoming pretty quickly. And yeah, I was more intellectual, more scripture, more traditional evangelical interpretation of the scriptures of prohibition. Um, and so we would, <laughs> as we would have heated discussions walking down Newport Road past the cows and the cornfields. Yeah, and I just think, who cares about any of this? We're not loving anybody. Like, shake your scripture at me all you want. If we can't love our neighbors and welcome our friends, something's wrong. Yeah. So I think our process mm -hmm. went, Katie and Paula came and ended up sticking around. <laughs> then sometime after that, we decided to leave the movement we were part of. Um, and then maybe a year later, we became fully inclusive um, and declared that. But so a big part, and I think the major event was the advent of Katie and Paula. Yeah. yeah. So by the time you came, but you should just tell the story of your coming. Yeah, yeah. So I came... Um, with my wife and our two children, our two boys were, were pretty small at that time, I think two and five, um, in uh, 2012. Um, so we had, <clears throat> excuse me, so my, my wife and I both grew up in mainline churches, my wife Catholic, and, and I was Lutheran, and, uh, and we sort of fell away from the church in college when we came out and uh, just that was one of the many things that we felt like we wouldn't have access to um, when when we knew that we were going to live together and live openly as gay people. So things like getting married and having kids and having a job that you wanted and not worrying about being fired. Those you know, Church was one of those many things that we would just give up. Mm -hmm. um, and then when we came to Iowa City and we had kids, then we kind of felt like like in, at, in in this place, maybe church was an option for us. And it was kind of our duty as parents to find a church. So we went and looked around at some of them and, and, and felt, you know, like we maybe found some places that were very welcoming 
or inclusive. Um, just nothing that we felt really a great sense of connection with. Mm-hmm. So, um, so my friend and colleague invited me to sit to what was, uh, then the Vineyard Church many times, um, because she had felt like it was a wonderful experience for her. She told me about the fact that there was a woman senior pastor and, and there were many things about it that sounded really intriguing. Um, and so I went onto the website. I didn't see much of anything there about LGBT people. So of course, I mean, the assumption is, is that if there's nothing there, it's because it's not a welcoming place. Um, but we did finally give it a, give it a try. Um, and, and I didn't have very high hopes. We sat in the back. We were ready to kind of exit <laughs> as need be. Yes. We had like the route planned. Um, <laughs> But we had a really great, great time. Um, we connected with people there. There, there were a lot of doctors there that I knew, which really mm-hmm. helped on that first time. Um, we thought that the message was wonderful. Worship was a little bit, um, uh, in a charismatic vein, which was, which was somewhat disconcerting for both of us, probably. It was a little trauma inducing for me. Hand raising. Hand raising, yes. So feeling. Because of like, the associations. Because of the associations with, like, what I would perceive as how evangelical Christians would worship would be in that manner. Mm-hmm. And how evangelical Christians have felt about LGBT people. And so I'm sort of lumping it all together. Like, oh, I thought this was a good place until worship started. Um, <laughs> Which was five minutes in. <laughs> yeah. Even though, like, worship was amazing and the woman leading worship looked like this awesome rocker with, like, purple hair and tall black boots. Like, just looked like the kind of person that had lots of gay friends. You know, so I'm trying <laughs> to just, like, figure, I'm like, well, here's what I have on the on the, the welcoming side. And yet, this is what I have on the this seems like we should leave now side. Um <laughs> But, but I feel like, but I feel like, like there were just, there were just like things that just nudged us to stay, you know, um, that, that, that God was at work and all of that. Mm -hmm. So we did stay. Um, and, uh, and, and before we came back for a second time, I had emailed Tom and 80, I think, or emailed 80 and, and said that we needed to set up a meeting and talk about, uh, whether or not this would be a safe space for us because I wanted to pretty, um, uh, pretty transparently just ask them those questions because I didn't want to stick around and try something and then all of a sudden know people and kind of get into it and then have to kind of remove ourselves because of this. So I felt, I felt fairly strongly like if we were going to join a church that we needed to find a place, um, that, that, that would be safe for my family to be quite frank. So I'm curious, what stood out to you in hearing this first part of their story? I mean, to me, a lot of things. But, you know, I one of the things that really strikes me about that is that realization of, like, there aren't any gay people here, you know, that we know of. Um, I I can't tell you the number of times I've uh, talked to folks, you know, pastors and churches who are like, yeah, I mean, you know, everybody's welcome, but there aren't any gay people here. And it's like, well, if there aren't any gay people there uh, that you're aware of, then then there's then there's a reason, uh, you know, most likely. And um, 
what you heard as you heard the other side of that, you know, what was going on for that couple um, is like some of the kinds of reasons that people might have for showing up or not showing up uh, or for coming back or not coming back to a church. And, you know, ranging from what is or isn't on the website to, you know, what the hair color is of somebody who's on the stage or what music, uh, you know, you're, you're playing. And, um, the, the challenge of course, is that the messages that those things send are not the same for everybody. I mean, for me, like, you know, I'm gay. I grew up in, uh, very much, you know, in an evangelical church. And so when I go to a church and they're singing the evangelical songs that I grew up with, for me, like, that's a reason to stay there. That's like familiar. But I have a lot of gay Christian friends or LGBTQ Christian friends for whom those same songs are reason not to show up because they're like, you know, this is triggering. This reminds me of all the horrible things that my church said and did to me when I, you know, first came out. And so it's important, I think, to have these conversations with folks as much as you're able and, and to pay attention to the little the, the little messages that are being sent or the the big messages that are being sent by the little things that you might not even think about. Um, yeah, uh, I agree. I, I think a lot of different things um, stuck out to me. One of them um, was when Katie said uh, that she and her wife just assumed church would be one of the many things they wouldn't have access to. And so just you know, thinking about having children and being married and getting a job that you like and church. And I just, it, it just makes me really sad that any of those things would be on that list, but that, um, a church, you know, which should be a safe space, uh, would be, would be there. And I think it's telling. Um, the other thing is when, um, you know, she, there was, she was kind of joking about having an exit strategy, but I think that like, there are so many churches spend all their time trying to figure out how to get people in their doors. And there's these people, LGBTQ people who would love to be in those doors, but they go in those doors having to have a way to leave quickly. Yeah. (laughs) And I think what 80 said about being missional is what one of the things that made their church different. So they're not just like, here we are, come in. They're like, this is our community. We have to mold ourselves to that. Mm hmm. Rebecca, you're so right about the exit strategy. Like for me, I I didn't even think about that till, you know, as you were saying that just now, like, yeah, every time I go to a new church, I do have an exit strategy in the back of my mind. And I, and I do often tend to sit towards the back. Um, you know, I mean, and, and it's part of it is just being an introvert, but part of it is like, I, I want, you know, I, I want to be able to leave as quickly if I, if, <laughs> if I need to, because you just don't know what you're going to experience. And, uh, even in places that say that you're welcome, what kinds of things are going to make you feel anything, but the big takeaway for me was the contrast in their perspectives as 80 was describing, why won't they stay? <laughs> We're doing, you know, and like, <laughs> and Katie's coming is like, should we stay? <laughs> and it's just... Why would we stay? Yeah, right? yeah, or why would we stay? It's like the inability to kind of understand the the vast differences in perspective. So that for me was just there. And I think that is just the lesson for every every church that I've heard that either embarks on this process or, or thinks they know what to do um, or thinks that they are welcoming and may not be. It's just, it just happens over and over again. And it just has to do with that difference in perspective. Yeah, and I, I feel like I just can't emphasize enough that um, 
unless you are really crystal clear about being welcoming and affirming, that's not crystal. It's not crystal clear. And the assumption is that you're not. Yeah. And, uh, you know, can we say something also about that conversation um, that they were talking about at the very beginning of this sort of dichotomy of like, on the one hand, hey, there aren't any, you know, gay people, aren't any LGBTQ people here. Um, and that's a problem because we're not loving anybody. And on the other side, yeah, but the Bible says this and the Bible says that and that kind of uh, argument, because that happens so often as churches are are starting to have this conversation. And um, it's difficult because you can't like arguing the Bible passages back and forth does not change anybody's mind. And yet, um, you know, like for me, certainly um, growing up in a church where the Bible was very much at the center, uh, this is a conversation that even as a gay person, I couldn't enter into without bringing the Bible with me. And so, you know, it's not for many folks, it's not going to be enough to just talk about um you know how like we should love more because because they're worried that that you're uh, moving away from the bible in some way and so it's it's a it's a delicate uh balance of of being able to engage the scriptures without just um debating the scriptures and 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 I do think that that at the you know at the end of the day there has to be this sense of like you know we can we can argue about scripture all day long, but if we're not able to love people because they don't show up or they don't come back, then, you know, what are we accomplishing? I think we could go ahead and listen to the next part of their segment. But one last note is, is I think that um, it's so fascinating to me how similar this conversation is, no matter where you go, there are some very unique individual parts to their story that we're going to hear about. But, you know, they're in the middle of Iowa somewhere. I've never been in the middle of the Midwest. Um, and they happen to be in a college town, so it's a little bit more progressive. And they end up having this conversation. And it's the same thing. It's like scripture versus people aren't feeling welcomed. We're debating this. We're not getting anywhere. We meet a person. And that starts to change our perspective. It just happens over and over again. So that's just amazing to me. And I think um, even as we listen for the specifics, we are reminded that there's just so many people everywhere who are having these same kinds of discussions. We were um, so both excited and nervous and freaked out because like Katie and Paula came and they now Katie wants to meet with me. And so this meeting means everything. If we say the right thing, maybe gay people will stay at our church and maybe Katie and Paul have friends and then other gay people will come and I won't hate our church. And, um, but we were nervous and we were really invested. So instead of having it be me and Katie, Tom said, well, I want to be there. And then our associate pastor, David, said, I want to be there. And our worship leader, um, Leah said, well, I want to be there. We're all invested in this journey. So Katie comes into my office, which is not that huge. And here are the four of us and Katie. And we're like, hi, Katie. Would you like coffee, Katie? How are you? It was so lovely seeing you. Like we were so uber nice because it meant so much. And we immediately realized like we like these guys. We want to have a space. And we don't know what we don't know. So we don't know what the things are that are going to be the thing that, oh, Katie or Paul are going to freak out and never come back. 
but we really want to learn. So yeah. we're invested from our end, and Katie's invested from hers. Yeah. Yeah. I, th- I think we knew we were a church in transition. Mm-hmm. So we, again, we had a sense of where we wanted to get, even though we didn't fully comprehend even what being inclusive meant. We yeah. wanted to get there. But we knew we weren't there as a church yet. And the, we also had this awareness, the only way we're going to get there is if we actually have... Yeah. Gay people in the church. Well, you had said many so, times, right? I'm not yeah. having a conversation without gay people represented about gay people. Right. Yeah, and 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 I mean, I think by that time that I'd probably like been on Vineyard USA's website and scoured it looking <laughs> for something, yeah. um, and I and there there was nothing on there at all, which sort of just kind of was a neutral thing, right? Mm-hmm. So it's not it's not like I had any any assumptions that it was welcoming but right. i also just felt like well could i live with this could i live with it if it says nothing and and i felt like like what we had experienced on sunday was was worth that mm-hmm. you know so those were the kind of questions that i had asked um and i think that that kind of you know quickly once we had been there that i kind of shifted from this from this real you know hardline stance on on like like that we get to make choices in life, right? Yeah. We we get to choose where we spend our money. We get to choose, you know, the cars that we buy and the churches that, that we go to. And so before I think I'd come, I mean, I was like, this is one of the choices that I'm going to make a statement and say, I'm only going to go to a church that has taken this stance and call it politically or whatever to be fully inclusive. And I sort of shifted to like, Okay, well, like, I didn't ask all of these questions, but I asked enough to know that, that they're good hearted and welcoming. And, you know, there's nothing blatantly negative. And so I think it's. So all what I was going to say was, um, at that time, we would have thought not having anything on the website, not taking a position mm. was welcoming. Yeah. Like, we would have thought we were doing something yeah. great. We had no idea. Um, about the importance of declaration. We had no idea how unsafe and fact and all that it communicated to have nothing. You know, we were the, the safe people. We don't take positions. We're above that. We love everybody. Um, but there's so much self-deception in that. And so Katie was willing to stay in spite of that. Um, and that, and that was a big deal for us. Yeah. I think it was, it was a, as a part of the mindset that we came in with that I think is a part of, again, conservative Christian culture, evangelical culture, that you don't take stands. You don't declare yeah. yourself. And a whole part of the process for us across the years was the awareness of privilege, the awareness of marginalized people, the awareness of, for those of us who are people of privilege, what do we have that for? And so one flip was becoming overtly declarative mm-hmm. about advocacy and welcoming and um, with LGBTQ individuals, with uh, ethnic minorities, with whoever it is who's marginalized. We didn't understand that we were blowing it, that we were not a safe place, because we just thought, well, we're nice people. We're not racist. We love everybody. Um, and it was through our not getting it and through people's getting hurt that um over time, we began to get, oh my gosh, we have a lot to learn. We have a lot to learn about our own privilege. And until we get that, we will never be safe. 
um, Katie and Paula were here for uh, probably a short time, but then a trickle of more mm-hmm. gay folks began coming. And anytime there was a baptism and um, LGBTQ person was being baptized or a people standing up front to become members and LGBTQ person was becoming member or baby dedication or whatever public thing, there could be a family who would want to talk to us later um, mm-hmm. and ask what we're thinking about about the gay people, about those people, about the gay situation at our church. Um, and we would have those conversations and I would usually get pretty angry and say, which people are you talking about? Or uh, mm-hmm. help me know specifically, um, but coming from a Jewish background where I grew up in a Jewish city, but was not allowed to be a member in the country club in the middle of our city because I was Jewish, not allowed to purchase property in the corner of our city because I was Jewish. Um, there was no way I was going to tolerate um, mm-hmm. that kind of thinking wherever we were theologically because we hadn't gotten there yet. Mm-hmm. Um, that kind of um, overt discrimination was terrible. So from the very be- we didn't lose a lot of people, but from the very beginning, we lost people. I think the first family we lost when Katie's boys were um, in Sunday school and a family who um, had two children who they considered miracles because the father couldn't, whatever, they couldn't get pregnant and they had these two boys. And now, wait a minute, there's a gay family in our church and what is that gonna mean? So they left the church, in fact, they moved to another city, which I don't think was all because of LGBTQ, but it kind of felt that way. Like, we got to get as far away from this as possible. And we realized like, oh, we're on a journey. We don't know exactly where we're getting. We will lose people. Tom used to say, honey, because by this point he'd flipped and he'd say, I don't care if we worship in a tent. We are who we are, and we're becoming who we're becoming. Mm-hmm. And we were clear about that. Yeah. So there is a ton in that segment. Um, I think I would start by saying one of the most critical things I heard from them is, is that they both sides came really willing to sacrifice and to learn from the other. Mm. So... The pastors and leaders of the church were like, we want to figure out why LGBT people won't stay. We, AD said, we don't know what we don't know, but we're eager to, to listen, learn. to learn. And for Katie from the LGBTQ side, it was like she was making a sacrifice of, you know, I don't know how this is going to end up. It doesn't have the things, the boundaries that... I would typically go for, say, politically to say that they are, that they're affirming. So she was making a sacrifice too and really trying to listen. And that to me was like a huge critical step in that process. Yeah. I, well, I mean, when they talk about uh, realizing that they are a church in transition, that's such an interesting, I mean, that's such an important revelation. Um, because you people want to uh to to get from you know a to z right away and it's important to to take the time to to do that 
kind of transition when God is doing something. Um, but that, uh, I don't remember who it was who said, you know, we, I, I made the note as, as I was listening, uh, you know, we realized that we have to have gay people in the church in order to make this transition. Uh, it, it creates a kind of catch 22 sometimes because there are a lot of LGBTQ folks who don't want to be in the church until the church is, you know, in a fully affirming place. Um, they've been hurt too much and they're tired of, uh, feeling like second class citizens. And so they, they want to be in a church that already is there, that is not in transition. And yet the reality is, I think, you know, as I said, um, that transition, uh, because you don't want to be having conversations about people without those people. Um, you know, we talked in the past about, you don't want to be, you know, have a, a bunch of men sit around and talk about the role of women in church, even though that happens, it's not a good thing when that happens. You don't want to have a bunch of white people sit around and, and talk about, uh, you know, racism. I mean, you know, it's, it's important for people who are being talked about to be part of the conversation. And so that requires some LGBTQ folks to be willing to sit, there with the church and go through that transition. And not everybody is willing or able to do that. But for those who are, that can be such a valuable thing for a church. And it's important, I think, for those people to know that they are valued in that transition. Yeah, I, I mean, I think I'd kind of just echo what you said, James. Um, the, the humility, I think, on the part of the church, realizing that they had much to learn. And, and the idea of like learning you know, when you learn new things, hopefully you're going to incorporate them and allow them to change you. And I think so often in church, you know, people go there ostensibly to learn, um, but that doesn't actually seem to be what's happening. And so I think really being open um, and like he said, on both sides here, like people being willing um, to be in a space together and to learn from each other and to be a better place for a lot more people. I think it's really important to note the people who came before Katie. Mm. So there were LGBT kind of, they mentioned it in passing. There were LGBT people who had come before and who had left who they, and then and 80, I think acknowledged they had made mistakes before. So I think what often happens is people give churches chances and then those churches fail and mess up. And I think one of the lessons that people sometimes take from that is like, it's wrong to do that. Or, um, you know, you can only, you must like, you must try to force political change in a very powerful, direct way. And um, what I've noticed in the churches that have done this is the power in doing things the gentle, loving way, um, even when it's painful and goes bad. Because it's like, the churches that kind of make it through to the other side, a lot of times are the ones that have had stuff like that happen and it didn't go well, or they they had people who had made mistakes and then those people learned over time. And so the, the people who went before, who maybe had experiences that were hard and hurtful even, um, God still used that to change people in the church over time. And, um, and then when everybody was ready, you know, Katie was able to come to that church and that time it didn't end in a painful experience. It ended in a positive one. But sometimes we want to short circuit that pain and I don't think we always can hmm. because people are human and they make mistakes. And I've seen it go the other way where you force political change really fast 
And a lot of times that can just break the church apart really quickly. Well, and that and that kind of learning that you're talking about requires humility on all sides, but particularly when a church is in is in transition or even moving into being in transition, you know, transitioning into being in transition, uh, there it requires humility on the part of the church to recognize that there are things that could be improved, that that maybe the message that was intended to come across is not the message that came across. Um, you know, they were talking about realizing that the uh, just being nice people was not enough. And that is actually really important realization. And I just think about how different th- this would have gone if they'd said, you know, gotten defensive and said, hey, you know, what would make people not feel welcome? We've done everything. You know, if they don't feel welcome, you know, if, if that's on them, you know, we, 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 we've done everything we can do. We're nice people. And if someone doesn't want to admit that, then too bad. You know, um, they brought instead this humility and this willingness to learn. And that's not uh, that's not a foregone conclusion that doesn't always exist. But when it does, that's when God can really get to work there in the church. Yeah, I think there were so many decision points where you I've just seen churches make a different decision. You know, we, you talked about, Justin, and that they were saying, we're not going to have this conversation without gay people. Mm-hmm. That's like the first break point. Like, that's the, one of the first decisions churches make is they have the conversation without gay people present. And you just know if that happens, it's not going to go any further. They, you know, they had somebody who was a mature LGBT person who was willing to, like, stick it out and kind of listen for them a little bit. Um, who was mature and intelligent and friendly. And that was sometimes if you don't get the right mix of people or people who maybe people have been hurt a lot before, um, you, it's like you said, not everybody can go on that journey with the church. Um, and not everybody should, um, especially depending on how you've been affected by churches before. Um, they were, um, they had a woman pastor. They had gone through that change. Um, they, realized they didn't know things like you said and they were willing to learn they had humility they were willing they embraced the fact that they were actually going to lose people and that it was worth the change just for its own sake just to do the right thing um all of those things are key points where i've seen churches take an off-ramp at one of those places all right we're going to listen to the last segment now I think I think a part of that was we had been through with Haiti. So Haiti was the first was a senior pastor in a movement that was historically restrictive towards women, and so we kind of saw what she went through, and you know, sort of at every step of the way, as you're crossing one more line of demarcation or line of restriction, there'd be a huge discussion about that, mm-hmm. and in the end, it just was nonsense. Either you're all in or not, and so I think having gone through that with you. And then so many other issues too. Once, once we felt like no, this is God's God welcomes, mm-hmm. God's inclusive, God doesn't exclude. It's not in His being to do that. That's us. It just felt like at the end of the day, we have to go all the way. Mm-hmm. We can't do this. We can't revisit the issue yeah. every time there's yeah. a new and and do you feel like that was part of part of part of what made you go from sort of saying like we don't want to you know publicize or advertise or market or make a statement to then saying yes and we need to be
be declarative in our actions and be more visible because that's what I like that's one of the things that was sort of most noticeable was this kind of public facing of 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 how you would represent it was you know saying like well there's nothing negative that we're going to put out there which is let's be just fair better than 90 percent of churches right i mean it's not that is a small success right we have nothing negative about gay people please set us on the back right (laughs) to then saying like like we are going to be intentional about saying you know like we are we are we have moved from welcoming to inclusive and we want gay people to be here and worship with us so we're going to put something on the website we are going to to say the words lgbt in a sermon you know or say the words gay and lesbian because i mean it was a long time coming even because I remember that I would talk to you about like <laughs> listening to your sermons. We give the lists of people who've been excluded: women's, blacks, Native American, anybody we could think of. Don't say LGBT. Yes, because I would always hear it. Like I knew because I knew from our conversations. And I knew your heart. Like I knew that you were speaking to me. That that like LGBT was included in in. In, in a list or just yeah. in a concept, crazy. but yet, but yet you wouldn't go there and say it. That's and crazy. I remember sort of even you just kind of, you know, like gently, gently. <laughs> um, because LGBTQ wasn't okay yet. Mm-hmm. Women were okay. Like for everybody in our church, a woman, they wouldn't people, have come yeah, if, yeah. if a woman senior pastor wasn't okay. They'd be worshiping at the churches down the road. There are many around us. Um, so I was naming the safe ones yeah. and trying to give a nod to Katie, um, which is a little bit crazy, but as much as we could do. And I, what happened was Tom and David flipped. And I'm sort of in the middle. I'm not traditional, but holy cow, how did we get fully inclusive? We've got several hundred people and you guys are ready to blow up the church. And mm-hmm. Katie's saying, 80, let's do this slowly and see how many people we can take with us. Tom and David, you, you guys were deferring, but ready to like, yeah. let's do it, let's do it. I'm working out my own theology and I'm thinking, oh dear, we've got friends who've been here from the beginning who planted this church who have not made this switch. Um, our core, our leadership, our giving base, um, many of our close, close friends who we've done life with, they're not here. And I don't know if they can get here. Um, what does this mean? So we had that process and that was, yeah. we're saying about a year of living in that space, trying to have conversations, trying to read books together, knowing where we want to get to. You guys completely there theologically, me I, worrying about stuff. Yeah. But I think the flip to being declarative was mm-hmm. still this whole package of becoming aware of what it means to be a person of privilege mm-hmm. and really just seeing things from your point of view. Mm. Like not being declarative is safe for me because mm-hmm. I don't want to be pinned down yeah. and I don't want to have to incur the wrath of the other evangelical churches in town mm-hmm. or it's really safe the people for our who community. are going to come and talk to us. But yeah. So I yeah. I think I mean just that whole process of really inhabiting somebody else's life or skin. And mm-hmm. so hearing from you and from Kevo and mm-hmm. from others yeah. 
We have lived afraid of church for so long. We need to know when we come that this place is safe. It needs to be declared and sort of, and, and at some point just getting it. Like, yeah. But at some point by now we had a significant number of gay folks worshiping with us. Mm-hmm. Um, and they're saying, um, at our, like meet and greets, they're saying, well, we're staying here because you guys are fully inclusive and we're smiling going, ha, ha, ha. Um, because we hadn't declared that, like we felt fully inclusive in our heart, but we hadn't gone through the official transition. So there were folks in our church, like when Katie's talking about putting something on the web page, it, it was at that moment of when we could do that, that those who were going to leave, maybe 10 or 12 families that would leave. That would all happen at the point when we, on our January 17th coming out sermon, when we put everything on the web page and uh, wherever else we let people know who we are, that was going to be a big deal. But I think what happened was we were getting closer and closer. Tom and David were being gracious. Katie was being gracious. But I they were waiting for me to give the word. We're going to make an announcement mm-hmm. and so whatever three months before January 2016 is <laughs> at a staff meeting I just said I think I'm ready to do this and it, it helped when a friend from another church said to me Adi there's a huge space between welcoming and fully inclusive because I said what do you well, what do you mean why are you giving me a hard time we are welcoming mm-hmm. and having to face that oh my gosh there is a huge space an infinitely huge space between welcoming, we're kind, we're good, join our small groups, we love you, be coming to our kitchens, bring us into your home, and anything that's open to me is open to you. You can, we will marry you, we will ordain you, there's no difference, like we weren't there. Mm -hmm. And when that friend said, uh, Adi, there's a huge space, I think was the first time I really got this is bad, what I'm doing. Mm. This is really bad. And so at some point, I said to David and Tom, we've got to just do this. And Katie, I remember you saying, oh, really? Okay. Mm -hmm. And and we took three months to walk out that process. Mm Yeah. 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 One of the things that I always think about, and, and even, you know, in my drive to work here in Iowa City, I go past a number of churches and they, you know, have typical church billboards where they get to put stuff on their little marquee and one of them says welcoming for all and 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 I have no idea I don't know anything about this church but of course I still feel I still think when a church says all they don't mean all they mean asterisks except LGBTQ people I mean it is just it is like ingrained into me that 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 was what I was always trying to convey was like you can say nothing and and you know that there's nothing negative so that's good but but like that silence like that lack of declaration means something yeah. and to lgbtq people like we assume when you say everyone when you say all in 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 all of those things even in like an invitation to communion you know that it it means accept LGBTQ yeah. people because we are in a church and yeah. that is just the history of it yeah. as terrible as that is. But I think that it's kind of, you know, it's, it's, yeah. it's like going, going through those things and making up for the history and, and sort of saying like, this is, this is what justice is, is it's, 
you know. Yeah. Is it is it is making sure that that you folks know you folks who have been excluded and marginalized for so long, we yeah. are welcoming you and going to put you at the front of the line in yeah. some instances. Yeah. Now I remember a fun moment for me was at some point after we had you know eighty preached our coming out service and we it got was cheers. Amazing, we got cheers. And far from being, it, it was the launching point of joy in the church and freedom. Mm-hmm. We've grown yeah. a lot since then. It, it turns out, and we kind of had an inkling of a suspicion of this, that there are just a lot of people <laughs> yeah. looking for real spirituality in a welcoming and inclusive church. And they started to come. You know, they started to hear about us. And so that's been great. And I remember walking to church one morning, you know, I don't know if I was teaching or you, but walking in and just noticing somebody had put on the window next to the door a rainbow sticker. Right? <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's like, hooray, that's us. You yeah. know, but somebody had... I have no idea who, but had taken the liberty. Like, yeah, we're welcoming and yeah. we're posting it now. I was really struck in listening to this last segment mm-hmm. in how clear AD was in realizing how, well, being just welcoming and being slightly dishonest about it in terms of how they communicated with the LGBT people who were there, how she realized how that was really hurtful and hard. Uh, because I think that that's just a place that a lot of churches are in right now. There's a lot of churches, especially evangelical megachurches, that are very glad to have LGBTQ people there or to kind of appear LGBTQ people friendly, but don't realize how difficult and painful that can be for the for those people who attend when they find out, hey, maybe I'm not as welcome as I thought I was. Yeah, that's, that's I mean, that's certainly been my experience. Uh and you know, I could I could give you example after example after example of little things that different churches have done that made me feel um, that that had a big effect. That made me feel really unwelcome as a gay person, even though they didn't intend for me to feel unwelcome. But the reality is, especially when you're just uh, getting to know a church, you're not you know deeply connected to the that church community you just don't usually feel um like you have the ability or or sometimes even the desire to do all of that extra you know like going to the pastor and saying let me tell you how this thing that happened in the church the thing that was in the sermon the thing that was in the bulletin this thing you know made me feel you just you just leave either because you just don't want to bother with it or because you don't think anybody would listen and so why put yourself in that position and so you don't know uh how the, the LGBTQ people who don't feel welcome, you don't know necessarily why they don't feel welcome because they don't tell you unless you go out of your way to, to seek them out and, and ask about it. Yeah, I thought um, <clears throat> when at the very end there when Katie says um, that justice is letting you know, you who've been excluded and marginalized, that you're welcome here, um, that a lot of people, it's kind of like, when you were saying earlier, Justin, about um, eighty, was like, well, "We're nice people, and we, you know, we're like welcoming, right?" Which is the context a lot of people, I think, just the general context of the word welcome. But there's a difference between that and between 
specifically welcoming people who have been marginalized and excluded because it means you have to acknowledge that they were marginalized and excluded and you have to look at why that is and what it means to be marginalized and if you're not in a group that's ever been marginalized you have to really reach out and stretch your empathy and i just think that that's really hard for people who are you know who are nice people but who have always been in kind of a majority position yeah. Oh, one of the other things that really uh, stood out to me in this last piece of the conversation um, was the recognition that not everybody is in the same place through this process, uh, which is really important because when you talk about, you know, is the church ready to make this move or make that move to put this on our website or that in our bulletin or to take this stand? Um that's not a simple question to answer because the the pastor may feel one way um other members of the the church staff uh you know elders or board or whoever is you know in positions of of leadership there may feel differently they they may not agree with each other uh, members of the congregation are in different places and so um again there's that balance of not just having the conversation endlessly, but also not jumping so quickly from one thing to another that you leave people behind. Um, I, I do think that it's important to find ways as much as possible to bring people with you. Uh, and and that takes that takes a lot of work. That takes, um, you know, often like church-wide study and conversation and, you know, like a lot of intentionality there. It may take a lot of behind the scenes, one-on-one -on -one conversations or small group conversations. Um, there are lots of different things that can happen. And ultimately, uh, you know, you may never end up with everybody in the same place because people are different and everybody's on their own journey. But as much as possible, you would like for this process to be a process that doesn't include some people at the expense of other people. You want everybody to feel like they are um, fully participating in this in this process and this journey, so that as the church transitions, wherever the church ends up, that um, even if not everyone is in agreement, that at least everybody feels like that their voice has been heard, but also that they've learned from the process and been part of it. It's interesting that you say that because one segment that we didn't get to hear because of time is they talked a little bit about that process. And AD was actually a part of the vineyard when the vineyard trans, uh, transferred to being fully welcoming uh, and affirming of women in ministry. Mm. And she became a pastor during that time. And then that was a little bit of a painful process for her being in the midst of that. And then she actually went back and did her PhD on that change and studied like how that happened. And so one of the things they actually did in at their current church when they were transitioning to being inclusive is they actually met with every single member in the congregation one-on-one, -on -one. the pastoral staff divided up among the three of them, every single member or family, mem a family mem member from a family in the church and had a coffee where they would sit and talk to them about it. And, you know, tell them why, like talk to them about why they're doing it, hear their reactions. And they did that over three months. And I, she talks about it and it was a really painful, difficult, also enjoyable process, depending on how those conversations went. But having learned from everything that happened before, 
um, with women in ministry, they really integrated those lessons into their transition. And so having those private conversations with people, letting people feel included, hearing their individual concerns, I think made a big difference in the number of people that stayed with them through that transition. Just that whole process really illuminates the I think the kind of concerns that leadership teams think about that are often kind of a little opaque for members is you're trying to balance all these different needs and it's true that you're going to probably lose people, um, either a few or a lot, depending on how that's handled in the specific context of your church. And that's a really difficult thing to weigh. And you really have to believe strongly in the mission of what you're doing to undergo that kind of painful process. You have to believe in it. Um, or else you're not going to make it, or else, you, I mean, you really shouldn't do it if you don't believe in it. So it's the, it's the, in that moment, though, what happens is you have to weigh the needs of those who are in your congregation who are being excluded versus the cohesion of your congregation altogether. And that's a difficult place for a leader to be, I think. Todd did say that they'd grown quite a bit, too, yeah. um, in, the, in the intervening years. And that's the really cool part about what happened with them. And I think that's true. Tom said that people are looking for a place that's fully inclusive, Jesus-centered with real spirituality. And um, obviously, charismatic styles are not for everyone. But I think that people are hungry for churches that are enthusiastically committed to Jesus and you know, feel very similar to what people have grown up with or what people have experienced in other evangelical contexts but are also fully inclusive. And I know there's a lot of belief and propaganda out there that says that's not possible, but we found that's not true. Mm -hmm. We've been a part of and seen many different church communities all over the United States who are all those things, who are inclusive, who have real spirituality, and who are focused on Jesus. So if you live in the Iowa City area, and this sounds good to you, you can always check out Sanctuary Church. That's right. Any closing thoughts from the team i mean every time we every time we have these conversations i uh i'm just struck by you know how in in one sense how simple it is to say you know everyone should feel welcome in church everyone should feel loved and valued and cared for in church and yet at the same time how complicated and intimidating this whole process can be for for churches that are just trying to figure this out and and um and and it's certainly tempting to just say you know let's just stay exactly where we are and let's not you know make any waves and 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 uh nothing will change but um i think you're right that uh People are hungering for churches that are fully committed to Christ um, and also are willing to engage this conversation in a loving and, and gracious way, because that's not the reputation the church has right now. And I think going forward, the churches that hold back and are afraid to engage this conversation are are ultimately going to get left in the dust as folks, you know, just feel um feel like it's empty you know when 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 this is their life it's their their the lives of their family and friends um so we need to engage this conversation and uh and and get ahead of that and and it's encouraging to hear about churches like this that are doing it well well i think that's it for this week 
thanks for listening and let's play the music again so we can watch Justin listen to it. Let's listen to Justin react. <laughs> so true story. We asked Earl to do this in part because we knew he'd be awesome at it. And also because it's too high for me to sing. So good job, Earl. It's very impressive. Thanks, Earl. <laughs> do, 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 do.